Uh, well, studying through Romans, the greatest letter in all of the world, is going to have, help us have that kind of mindset. It's going to get our minds around that. This is the most extensive study of the, of the gospel in all of the Bible. Uh, we say that word gospel a lot around here. Um, if, if I stop, then you have permission to leave. If you do not know what the gospel is, and we say it a lot, and you're kind of confused, uh, it's simply this. Uh, it's good news that invades bad spaces. All right, God, The gospel is simply this, that you were far more sinful than you could ever dare to believe and yet you are far more loved by God than you could have ever hoped for. Uh, you, were, you, were, you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but yet he delighted and he loved in giving his life on the cross for you. It's an amazing, beautiful message of the gospel. Last week we started to uncover some of those implications. But Romans is so thick that, that I could just simply read it and then just shut up. And, and some of you are like, man, I wish you'd do that. We get out of here a lot earlier today. Uh, but I can't. It's too good uh, to keep me quiet. John Calvin said this about the book of Romans. When once one has the proper understanding of this epistle, that the uh, entrances to all the most hidden treasures in Scripture are opened to him. And I believe that about this letter and how it has the power to transform our minds and our thinking and inwardly transform this church uh, to being a great vessel for God's glory. Last week, Romans uh, 8 through 1 through 4, Paul started to lay out this most amazing assurance in all of Scripture with this one passage, and he says, There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. A freedom that is beyond our comprehension for those that are in Christ. And it was a freeing passage. I've heard a lot of stories this week about people just, just feeling freedom from understanding that there's no more condemnation and God's already working in an incredible way. The proper response uh, to that and understanding that should lead to this. No limits in my devotion, my dedication, and adoration for Jesus in my life. No limits to what I'm going to do. I will not put him over here and I will not confine him. There's an overwhelming response. So we're going to look at today some more implications uh, of this freedom that we have. We have freedom in Christ from, uh, from fear-based behavioral modification, and it's been transformed to love-based transformation. All right, let me repeat that. We're no longer in fear-based modification, but we're in love-based transformation. Those are completely different things. Uh, let me paint a picture. If uh, really there is no good, let me put it this way. Um, there is no good if, if, if at my house I, I, I do the dishes, I take out the trash, I help with the laundry, I help with the kids, I clean the house. Because if I don't do those things, uh, Callie's going to freak out and go all she-hulk and just say, Callie, smash. Right? She's going to scream at me, yell at me, and just freak out. If I do all of those things just so she can be nice to me, or I can get things from her, or just so she won't yell at me, then my motivation behind all of those things is misplaced. There is no joy in doing those things. And you guys, some of you guys are like, really? You have joy in taking out the trash and doing those things for your wife? Yes, you can have joy in those things. I truly believe that because if love is the basis for the motivation, you can find joy in any action that you do. So if I love my wife, 
Man, I, I have joy in those things, right? So we've been delivered from fear-based behavioral modification to God into a love-based transformation to please Him with our lives. Romans is extensive about our salvation. Uh, when it comes to salvation, there are four kind of people. They'll all, everyone in the room would fit into four, uh, one of these four categories, uh, and they're simply this. There are those that, who are saved and they know it. All right? they, they, are, they are not cocky, they're not arrogant, because their confidence is not rooted in what they have done or did. It is rooted in what Christ has done and is doing. So their confidence is in the cross. So Paul tells us in Corinthians 1.31 to boast in that. And that's actually the only thing you can boast in. Boast in the cross. There's confidence. There's assurance. They never, ever wrestle with that. The second kind of person is those who do not uh, have God. They don't follow God and they know they don't love God. There's no salvation and they're okay with it. They're, they're, they're fine with not following God. The third person is simply this. Those who are uh, not saved, but they think that they are. And it comes from an improper view on what is necessary for salvation. That's been skewed by a lot of different influencers. This would be the person that uh, says simply this. Um, I believe that I'm going to be with God. He's going to save me because I died one day. My heart just stopped beating. And then I automatically I inherit the kingdom of God. You've been to funerals where that is the case. God would never, a loving God would never condemn people to hell. He wouldn't do that. He's not judging people. He loves all people, right? Uh, or the person who says, well, I can do more good than bad. If I'm a good moral person, uh, or if I don't do these certain sins, um, then God's surely going to have favor upon me. Or the person who simply says, well, I prayed the prayer. I remember reciting that thing with my pastor or I go to church every Sunday, or I have been baptized. Those are things that, that, that save me. All gross miscalculations that have eternal implications. Uh, those are simply uh, uh, just these figments of man's imagination to make us feel better about ourselves. right? Uh, people that have opinions about the Bible, but they've never actually read it. All right. Uh, so then we have the fourth person. That is the person that is saved, but they don't know it. They truly are in Christ. There's no condemnation, but they don't really know it because they think it's based upon what they do or what they don't do. And it is, once again, it's an improper view of the gospel. And they spend a, a lifetime of wrestling with this tension. Am I in or am I not? Have I done enough or did I do too much wrong or more than good than bad? And they just live back and forth. That is not the freedom that Christ died for. And as I spoke to you, many people this week and the past couple of weeks are being delivered from that freedom. They never fear condemnation ever, ever again. So Paul's taking us through these things, and he's understands. So here's what you need to know. If there is no condemnation for those in Christ, that's the only way that we know we're saved, by being in Christ. No condemnation. So the next question should be, logically, how do I know that I'm in Christ? If that's the only way I can find security, if that's the only way I have assurance, how can I be sure in, I am in Christ? And Paul is going to answer that today in verses 5 through 11. He's going to say this. The evidence 
is that you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's going to separate all of humanity into two spiritual realms. Those that are in the flesh and those that are in the spirit. The ones that are in the spirit have life. And those that walk according to the flesh have death. That's our bottom line. Hang on to it today. That the spirit is life and the flesh is death. Let's pray before we get into Paul's text today. We love you, God. Thank you. Father, we, we aim in this, in this passage today to get a better understanding, a greater thirst, a proper view of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us even when we are not dialed in. He is the forgotten God. Help us to become aware of who He is, the power that is in us to grow us, to make us more holy, more like Your Son. Father, we are thankful for those that are secured in Christ. Help bring more of your people into your presence. There's room at the table for those that are not in Christ. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit stirs them up today. It is the work of you, not of the work of us. We love you. Pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Romans 8, 5. Uh, uh, 5 through 11 is what we're going to hit today. Now let me set up just a little bit about this Holy Spirit coming on the scene. Um, You need to know this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. It is not an impersonal force that just kind of floats out there. It is a part of the Godhead Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Fully God and dwelling in us. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion because the God that we serve, the God that we love, the God that saved has actually given himself to his believers and embedded him in our own hearts. That's a powerful, powerful thing. And he is often called the forgotten God, the misunderstood God, the neglected God of the, tri- of the Trinity. We don't talk about or we have a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is today. And Paul's going to lay it out for us today. Now the second thing I want you to know as we get into this passage, Paul is going to be talking a lot about the flesh. All right, Here's what he's not talking about today. He's not talking about the believer who struggles with the flesh. We've already talked about that because of our sin Our bodies are corrupt, they're weak, and we struggle with the flesh. But there's no condemnation because Paul told us in chapter 7. This today is getting ready to open up this idea of those that walk in the flesh, that live in the flesh, that set their minds on the flesh, that that are, are governed and controlled by the flesh. Lost people and People that are in Christ, okay? So we're not talking about the believer who struggles with sin. So get get that out of her mind so we don't fall back into fear and condemnation once again. Paul's going to lay this out. Let's start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. You're either living according to the flesh or you live according to the Spirit. There is no middle road. You are one or the other, a God lover or a God hater. 
So here's what we need to understand, because he's using this language of flesh. He's going to continue to do this throughout. So we've got to get a proper view on what he's talking about by walking in the flesh, setting the mind on the flesh, living according to the flesh. This is, uh, the Bible also talks about sometimes the flesh being our physical bodies, our weakened uh, corrupt bodies who are weakened by the flesh. That's, that's a, a word used to talk about our bodies in, in Scripture, the flesh. In this passage, he's not talking about our physical bodies, but yet he's talking about our entire corrupt nature, our being from birth that is an inward view that's very self-serving, self-pleasing, and not God-serving and God-pleasing. We are very self-centered people from our conception, right? The children, the way we come out, we're very me, 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 me. No child comes out saying, I want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about us. It's an inward, corrupt, moral nature that does not think about the things of God. We have inherited the flesh. We are all born living and walking and setting our mind in accordance with things of the flesh. That's what Paul's talking about. When you wake up in the day and you're, you start your day, are you governed by the flesh? You walk around all day and you are only thinking about you, pleasing you, man-centered instead of God-centered. That is what Paul is talking about. He's giving us a picture of really uh, this idea of a world view. When I say worldview, I'm not talking about some philosophical abstract uh, perception on how the world operates, politics and foreign affairs. I'm not talking about that kind of worldview. I'm talking about how you look at everything in the world through the lenses of God, through the Spirit, or do you look at it from the lenses of the flesh? Do you wake up in the day and does God enter your mind? Does the Spirit drive you and what you do all day or you you're about you all day long. What can I do for me? What's going to make me happy? That's the person that, that, that Paul is talking about in the flesh. They are simply governed by that. So the person that walks in the flesh, set their minds in the flesh, this is the mind of that person. I'm going to lay out some thoughts of this person. So you might be in the room. So listen up. There's going to be good news at the end of the text today. The person that is set on things of the flesh thinks this. Sex. Pleasurable, physical, natural, procreation. I can have it with anybody I want to. It's very casual. If it's my boyfriend, we're going to get married one day. If it's my girlfriend, I'm going to get married to her one day. Why can't I live with them? Why is that wrong? If we're practicing safe sex, what's the big deal? That is the mind that's set on the flesh. And they cannot understand why they would not do those things. The mind set on the spirit says opposite. It says sex is very spiritual. It is, a, it is a connectivity, a mingling of souls between a husband and a wife. It is deep. It is not just physical. It is spiritual. It is a covenant between a man and a wife. It is an act of worship, of making God look good and thanking the giver of the gift. The mindset on the flesh says this. A man attracted to another man is okay. A woman attracted to another woman is okay. Their mind is set on the flesh and not on the spirit. And they cannot understand why. The mindset on the flesh looks at money and says this. 
It's my money. I work really hard at my job. I've worked really hard for a long, long time. I earn it, and I'm going to spend it how I want to or even how my family wants to. I'm going to make wise financial decisions. No one's going to tell me what to do with my cash. I'm clinging to my cash, and I'm not being generous with the cash and the money that God has given to me. I'll do with it what I want. I can't afford to give generously to the glory of God. I'm trying to pay my bills over here. Mindset on the flesh. The mindset on the flesh looks at time like this. It's my time. I work hard. I deserve some rest all day. Somebody's telling me what to do at work, and I come home, and i got to confide to the household. I want my time. I want to do with my time what I want to do with my time, and you don't need to tell me what I need to do for God. I don't have time to serve God. I'm all about me, right? The mindset on the spirit says, God gave me the day as a gift to make much of him, not much of me. I must decrease so he may increase and I'll do what God has for me in today this day is yours not mine do you wake up thinking that if the spirit is in you that is what you are called to think when you yield to the spirit the mindset on the flesh looks at marriage the family and the kids all those dynamics as ways to make you happier my kids they're supposed to make me look good to make me happy they make me, uh, they validate me, they give me purpose. My marriage makes me happy while I live on this earth. All self-centered, mind on the flesh, the mind on the spirit says God's gift of marriage was to make much of him, to magnify his glory, not mine. My kids were not gifts to make much of you, but to make much of me. You don't find your validation and your purpose in your kids. You find it in Christ. Mindset on the Spirit. Paul's laying out an argument that there's a drastic difference between. Think about this debased war mindset. The, uh, maybe you saw the Doritos commercial at the Super Bowl last week, right? Okay. So in that commercial, the pro-choicers looked at that commercial, and they literally got so upset because they thought that they were humanizing the fetus in the commercial and they just got all jacked up out of place you're making that look like a baby in the womb is alive are you kidding me warped debased mind set on the flesh not the spirit they don't look at the world through the eyes of the spirit they look at the world through eyes of the flesh and they're warped but the beauty of all of this is, is when the Spirit gives you life. You get new lenses. Jesus Christ redeems you. He gives the Holy Spirit in you. And then it transforms the way that you think about the world. You don't look around in the world and say, we need to eradicate all those Muslims. Go to Bangkok. We need to take care of our own. Feed the hungry in Haiti. How about feed America first? That is what the mind says on the flesh. And once Jesus gives you new life, the Holy Spirit comes into you, transforms the way that you think. Romans 12, 1 says, 
We need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. To think differently, to think about spiritual things and not about flesh things. Here's what doesn't happen. You do not start to think about things of the Spirit by osmosis. It doesn't just naturally start to come to you. You don't know what the Spirit likes. You don't know what the Spirit loves. You don't know what the Spirit detests. So you must then turn to the Word of God to transform the renewing of your mind. God hates this or God loves this. So then I look at it and I read it and I read it and I read it until I believe what it says, not what I feel. Transforming the renewal of our minds. The Bible, the Word of God, is the sword of the Spirit. And it is a destructive weapon against the flesh. But it does not yield defense or offense if you don't pick it up. 40-minute sermon on Sunday is not going to transform the renewing of your mind. The Word of God will study God to know God. If your mind's set on the things of the Spirit... You will think of the world differently. A, a few years ago, four years ago to be in fact, some of you guys don't know my story. Uh, four years ago, I left the health club industry uh, that I was in for 17 years and, um, and left a, a, a good job, a job I enjoyed, a job I loved. Uh, I did those things uh, ultimately because the Spirit of God was compelling me to do something else. I was walking in accordance with the Spirit, not of the flesh. People in my, uh, that were around me during that time, they're like, you're going to do what? You're leaving a, a, a secure job that you've been doing for 17 years, security, advancement opportunities, and you're doing what? You're, you're going to be a 38-year-old youth pastor? I mean, who does that, right? I mean, that's crazy. It's ridiculous, right? But I wasn't being governed by the flesh that said, I want money, security, God's glory was at the, the forefront of my heart only because the Spirit did it in me, not me. I yielded to it, but without the Spirit, I could do nothing. And the people that were around me, they had their minds set on the flesh. You're not equipped. You don't have experience. You haven't gone to seminary. Why would you do this? You're crazy. Mindset on the flesh. Now, this does not mean that you have to leave your job and go into the ministry full time or you're not yielding to the spirit. That's not what that means. But it does mean that as you go into your own mission fields tomorrow morning, wherever it may be, home, your job, Nissan, school, whatever it may be, you are thinking about the things of God. That is your mission field. You are for God's glory and God's good, not your advancement, not your career, not your dreams, not your hopes. For God's purpose, because the Spirit has transformed the renewal of your minds, and you think about spirit things. He is powerful in us. Let's keep going, because this whole thing has been very di diagnostic to us knowing if we are in Christ or we if not in Christ. And that's what Paul is telling us, Romans 8, 6. Let's keep going. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. He doesn't mince words. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the flesh equals death. Now here what we know. We know Paul is talking about an eternal spiritual death in a place called hell. Reality. It's coming. It is a reality when judgment comes. 
All right, you've heard people kind of use this saying before. Well, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. You've heard that before? Well, let me tell you what. Sin doesn't go to hell. Sinners do. There'll be real people every single day that are going to hell. So this is a reality that we cannot escape. But in this text, Paul's not only talking about an eternal uh, spiritual death. He's talking about a current death on this earth. We know that walking according to the flesh leads to death. This is the mindset. Sex, once again, we'll go back to some big rock. Sex is natural, physical, pleasurable. I can do all of these things outside of marriage. Inside of marriage, I can do all these things. What is the result of that? What is the fruit of death? It is divorce, adultery, STDs, pornography, death on earth. Money, use your money to go accumulate possessions that will all rot in eternity, dust, eaten by moth, but you spend it over in abundance. You have more bills, you have more debt than you have money, and you are living and you are swimming in a miserable state of death. It brings death now and later. This understanding, we'll keep going in verse 7. Um, he's talking about, this brokenness over and over again of current now and current later. He says this with, with the life, all right? Uh, the Spirit gives life. Let's go back, actually, uh, previous passage. Let's go back to 6. That's what the mind says, but now the flesh says, or the Spirit says life. Go back to 6, please. There we go. The Spirit is life. So we know this is in, 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 inherent eternal life that God has promises in Christ Jesus. We'll have eternal life in the future but he also promises us now we have life abundantly, right? Before Christ, we thought we were alive. If you're in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You really thought you knew what life was. Oh, this is life. I, I love my life. It's awesome. But then once your mind has been transformed by the Spirit, you actually realize I was actually, it was death. It was not life. The Spirit brings life Future life and also current life. And it also does this. The Spirit brings peace. Peace ultimately with God because we're all born hostile to God. We do not have peace with God. We're hostile. We're at war with God. And now because of Christ Jesus and the Spirit, He gives us peace with God. And if we are walking with God and the Spirit on this earth, then we will also have a horizontal peace in our life. Now this is not the... We're not talking about world peace. We're talking about a peace between God and man that rests over our souls. Let's keep going in this text. In verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. They are hostile to God. They don't submit to his law. Not because they don't. It says they cannot submit to the law of God. So when they see the law of God, here's what they do. God says, do this. I don't want to do that. God says, don't do that. I want to do that. Paul says the reason is, is that they cannot please God. God. There's nothing in them that can submit to God. We talk a lot about this at our church in different ways and different mindsets. It's called 
total depravity. We're born into the world totally depraved, totally unable to please God in our life. We're hostile. We're in the flesh. Our minds, our bodies, our souls, our core, everything about us does not have the ability to please God. We all fall short. We're spiritually dead people, and dead people cannot choose God. I've never been, and they can't choose life, I've never been to a funeral where someone got out of the casket and said, I'm back, right? I I choose life. I tasted death, but I don't like it, and I'm back in life. The Bible says we're spiritually dead, and we cannot choose life. We must have the spirit in us, and anyone who's walking according to the flesh has a suicidal love affair with self-determination and independence. And they do not understand the things of God. So you who are in Christ know who you're talking about. So when you encounter the intellectual, the agnostic, the atheist, stop arguing creation and proof and evidence of God's existence with them. Stop it. They don't have an intellectual problem. They have a spiritual problem. They don't have the spirit in them. So stop arguing dinosaurs and talk to them about Christ. He gives life. Regeneration proceeds, precedes faith and understanding in the scriptures. So you can't convince someone that a God exists and they need to surrender. You simply share Christ. Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerates their heart gives them faith, and then they can understand the things that they just you were telling them that they could not understand. So stop arguing with people who do not know Christ. Talk Christ to them. They're depraved. Their minds will not let them. And even says they, they can't please God. And, and some of you are like, really? I know some good people. They're not Christians, but they, they, they do a lot of good things. Some of them are even spiritual They're very generous. They give of their time. They give of their money. They fight social injustice. Well, Paul says they can't even please God. Not anything that they do can be pleasing in the eyes of God. That's pretty shocking because our world has a a definition of the word spirituality. It's become very jacked up, right? The the culture's taken away from the Bible and tried to redefine spirituality. What is it, yoga? Is it reincarnation? Is it Scientology? There's all these spiritual things, but they lack the spirit. There's people in the world that are uh, non-spiritual spiritualists. And by definition, if it doesn't have the spirit in them, then they're not spiritual, all right? Uh, let, me, let me put some names, and this might resonate a little bit. These are people that do a lot of good, fight social injustice, do a lot of good things, but it is not with the purpose of glorifying God. Oprah, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Angelina Jolie. A lot of things in this world, but the Spirit is not the focus. It's all about you. You are good. There's power in you. Love you. Have your best life now. People that have the Holy Spirit in them, it's never about you. It's always about the Holy Spirit. He exists in you to make much of him, not much of you. That is the spiritual person. And by definition, a spiritual person must have the Holy Spirit 
dwelling in them, making much of them and not much of themselves. So we need to be careful with that word. There should be this huge difference Paul's laying out between the life of someone who's walking according to the flesh and walking according to the Spirit. Those that have had an incredible encounter with God, a supernatural spiritual encounter, our lives should look different, but sometimes it doesn't look that way. If I told you that I had an encounter with God, God came to me, overcame me, and gave me this beautiful gift of singing. We're talking voice of an angel stuff, all right? I've had an encounter. He came over me. I can sing like an angel, and I'm telling everybody that I come in contact with, you need to hear me sing. It's incredible. And then I get up here with the band, and instead of sounding like Bono, it's, oh, no. It's more like, oh, no. You just stop singing, man. You're killing me. You would question the validity of my encounter, would you not? Really, man? You sure you had that encounter? You don't really sound so good, man. I don't know about an angel thing. You didn't really encounter God, or you would question the, the validity of the God that I encountered, right? You definitely would do those things. Well, that is exactly what happens when Christians today, they stand up. I've been invaded by a supernatural spirit that is in me. It's taken over. It's guiding my life. It's a force. It's not natural. It's spiritual. And then they walk out the doors, and people outside the church look at them and like, really? You don't look very spiritual to me. You look very natural. You look like everybody else, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm questioning your encounter with God, and now I'm going to question the God that you encounter. And can you blame them? I mean, can, can you honestly blame them? You, you get up and you sing praises of the Spirit with your lips on Sunday, and then you go to McDonald's and you go off on a high school kid that put pickles on your burger, right? You come in and you sing songs of worship and praise on Sunday mornings. I love that. I tune in and I get on my radio and I leave and I turn on all these songs that are in the flesh, that the, that the world loves. The world loves this song. I like the way it sounds. It's cool. In the flesh. And you're trying to walk down two pathways and pleasing two different things that are diametrically opposed. And you cannot do that. It's called syncretism. When you take two complete opposite things and you try to reconcile them, it cannot be done. It's, it, 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 equate that with Paul and the church in Corinth when the believers... In the church, and it was rampant with temple prostitution. Their minds had become so debased that they said, because we're in the church, we can practice prostitution. That's how warped and messed up their minds were. When we try to think that we can do two things that are diametrically opposed, we're engaging in temple prostitution. Sin and, and the spirit never, ever, ever jive together. It's impossible. Until sin is bitter to you, Christ will never be sweet. And we've got to understand that and stop making and try to combine those things together. Let's keep going in Romans 8, 9 through 11. We'll close it out. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul says, here's how we know we're in Christ. Not because we were in church, prayed the prayer, got baptized, because we can speak in tongues and do healing things. He says it is in you because it is evident in your life. And you have the Holy Spirit and dwells in you. And that's how you know. The same spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you, every single believer. And this is what separates our religion from all others, as I said. The same power that rose him from the dead, that gave him life, dwells in you if you are in Christ. Same power in you, same power in me. There's not a pastor spirit and a believer spirit. We all have the same power in us. So how do we know? How do we know? And Nicodemus, uh, Jesus engaged a guy named Nicodemus who was a leader of the Sanhedrin. Very a Pharisee, very intellectual. He knew all uh, of the Old Testament he could recite. He probably memorized the first five books of the Bible. He never missed the Sabbath because he was fishing. He, he did good works. His moral character could never be questioned. A good, good man. He did it all. Bible trophies and everything. And he comes up to Jesus and says, How may I have eternal life? And Jesus says, You can't. You cannot unless you are born again of the Spirit. You had all those things you did all that stuff, but you didn't have the Spirit in you. How do you know that the Spirit is in you? How do you know the Spirit is in you? Some people can look at, they look at other people and they're like, I can tell he has a Spirit in him because he just got down on the church, he got on the floor at church and started doing the worm. All right? He started doing it right there in the worm. I saw he got the Spirit is alive in him. We're not talking about pastor uh, doing the G Jesus jig or doing gyrations and convulsions on the floor. That's not what we're talking about. If you see me doing that, call 911. Paul tells Jesus, or Jesus tells Nicodemus that it is an invisible thing, but it, yet it's visible. It's like the wind, he says. It's very invisible, but you can see the effects of the wind. And the Holy Spirit in you, although invisible, should be very visible in your life. What does it look like? Well, first you start to hate sin and you love God. It's the first thing. You start to share your faith, Acts 1.8. You want to tell other people about it. You are committed and connected to your church despite her imperfections. You give generously. You share your faith. There's, there is service in you. You do physical things, but I know a lot of people who do physical things that do not have the Spirit in them. So it cannot be put into that category exhaustively. It's what's going on in the heart. What is driving you at your core? What governs you every day? Is it the Spirit or the flesh? It cannot be both. Now Paul reminds us that we do struggle in the flesh as believers. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what governs us. When we wake up in the morning... What's driving my day? Governed by the Spirit. Oh, no, I, I succumbed to the flesh. I was weak, but I'm still driven. My core is to pursue and please the Spirit of God all day long. Or does it not? When you engage in that thought process all day, if the Spirit's never on your mind, the Spirit's not in you. It's that plain. 
either a God lover or God hater. There's nothing in between. There's no lukewarm relationship with God. You either hate God or you love God. And that is what he's laying out for us. Same spirit. D.L. Moody said this. He says, one day you'll see my obituary, my cemetery plot. You'll see the stone. It says I died. But don't believe it. Because it's not true. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead raises you to life now. And then when Jesus returns, even though you're dead mortal bodies that are decomposing in the earth, you will be raised to new life in Christ with resurrection bodies. Same power. Amen to resurrection bodies. Can I get one right there, right? Okay. I think you all feel that. Feeling it right now. Same power dwells in you. The guys are going to come out. And we're going to close this out. And I want to, let me kind of paint this in a reverse order just to make sure that we really, it penetrates us. We're all born walking according to the flesh, in the flesh, setting our mind on things of the flesh. That's the way we are because of our corrupt moral nature from Adam. No ability to please God. By the grace of God, Jesus invades our life Regeneration happens, faith in Christ happens, and then the Spirit is embedded in us, and now we can please God. He can core and govern our bodies, our minds, our desires, our thoughts, now become God-centered and not man-centered anymore. That is how this whole thing works. Once again, all praise, all honor, and all glory goes to God. He not only saved us, He gives us the ability to conform to his son in sanctification with the Holy Spirit. He gets all credit, all praise, all glory, all the time. And that leads to a greater devotion with our lives. We must live that out. Let's pray just today. Father, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all one God, functioning in our lives, in ways beyond our measure and understanding, but all one God. The mystery of the Trinity. We love you for it. We thank you for revealing who the Holy Spirit is in our life. Help that Spirit, uh, us to yield to the Spirit. Father, we know that sin will try to railroad us, but your Spirit will persuade us. It won't bully us like sin does. And I pray that our people begin to yield to the Spirit and allow their lives to be governed by it. We love you. Continue to stir up people. It is not a gut feeling. It is not an emotion. It is simply you stirring those things up in us. Help us to dial into that. We love you. Father, all praise, all honor. All honor and glory to you, Christ's precious name.